You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And if you have not done so already, please go vote. Yes, participate. Please go vote or mail in your ballot or whatever it is that you do in your state. If you are an American, please vote today. Thank you very much. So as we go forward today with our continuing uh, series here on Mastering the Art of the Shamanic Journey, I'd like to call in the spirits to be with us here today. And frankly, I'd like to call in the ancestral helping spirits of America to be with us here today that we might vote wisely. And that we might make a choice that would truly begin to create decisions that this country could make that would be good for the next seven generations. I know that's a big stretch, but I'm asking for spirit help to be with us here today as America endeavors to do a good thing. Now, back to the show. I call out to the ancestral helping spirits to be with us on this show here today to gather around that we might do what must be done in our neighborhood. So I call out to all of those who have gone before us, who have lived well and died well and are prepared because of their own choices to be with us as true ancestral helping spirits. And I call out to yours and to mine. I call out to all of those uh, beings to be with us here today to gather around and to insist us in our day to help us in this day to do what the living are here to do and to bring forward those unique gifts uh, for which they have taken these bodies and are using resources in the world. Help us, please, to do exactly what it is that we have come here to do in the many, many creative ways we are here to do it. So I call out to those ancestors to gather round, hold us well, and help us to find the innovation and inspiration of the living that all that needs to be here for those who are coming will be here when they arrive. And with the ancestors gathered round, I bow to them and give great thanks. Thank you for your assistance and your presence, your ever-present hand at my back, and the certainty that comes when my feet feel unsure. So I thank you for being with me here today. May we each now take our energy from our heads to our hearts and our hearts to our bellies and our bellies down through all the layers of the earth. And let's extend our energy with intention, the intention to be grounded, to be connected down into the earth. And allow our energy to be followed by a pulse from our heart of our own true heartfelt gratitude. Gratitude for life. Gratitude for the miracle of life and the wonder of our existence here and the great diversity of things. We give thanks to the earth for the wonder of her dreaming that brought life as we experience onto the face of this planet and we thanks for all that has been in each of our lives that has gotten us to this moment and all that is in this moment and thanks for all that will be of great great gratitude to the earth and gratitude for this day 
And we reach down to the very center of the earth and call the energy of the earth up, bringing into ourselves, into our proceedings here today, into our lives, the energy of all the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form in a good way. And we call up the energy of restoration and rejuvenation, replenishment. We call these energies up into our body. And we call forth with these energies the sense of groundedness and place and home and hearth, the sense of belonging a sense of continuity, a sense of place in the great oneness of things. We give thanks to the earth for the sense of connection within ourselves, the interconnection with other things, and ultimately a sense of our place in the great oneness. And we ask the energy of the earth to help us to do something with that awareness today that is a contribution to the all that is. So we give thanks to the energy of the earth and let it resonate in our belly and our heart and our mind as we draw this energy up, reaching up through all the layers of the sky, all the way up to the highest power of the universe and to connect with that energy there by whatever name you know it. It matters not. Just connect. Connect to that energy and draw it down, drawing it down through all the layers of the sky, into your head, into your heart, and into your belly, drawing into yourself, drawing into the day, drawing into our proceedings, the energy of blessing, the energy of protection, the energy of devotion and generosity, the energy of benevolence, all the wisdom of the cosmos coming in and bringing us the teachings of our, some of our most ancient ancestors. We draw these energies in, into ourselves, and return with these energies into our body where we can feel the dance of earth and sky, yin and yang, the big love, dancing within us. It is this dynamic from which all life of physical form is born, at least that experience of life as we know it. And we give thanks for the big love. We ask the big love to be big within us and give our heart the opportunity to open like the lotus flower that it is and to open, to be full, to be strong, to be clear. And we ask the heart now to be what it is truly designed to be, is that great and magic crucible of transformation that can hold in its own unique way the fiery passions of the belly, our desire, our soul's longing to do what it has come here to do, these deep burning energies. We draw them up into the heart where they can be known. And we draw down the crystal clarity of the mind that brings in the creativity and the innovation and the inspiration necessary for us to bring these energies together in the magic of the human heart to give birth to our soul's true purpose, that knowing of why we are here. Not that we'll know it in a way that we can now write an essay about it, but we can know it in a way that we can feel it. And let us have the courage to trust that feeling, trust that inner knowing, and to bring that energy out into manifestation in some way on this day. And we give thanks to the heart, the heart that connects us all. We give thanks to the heart for being present with us here today. Thanks to the earth below, the sky above, and the ancestors gathered around, and all of our helping spirits that are with us in every day. We give thanks. And I also give thanks to those of you that helped to make the show happen. I give great gratitude to those of you that are able to donate financially. Um, it is a gift not only to me, not only to the show, but a gift to those who cannot. And I give thanks to Chelsea, thanks to the Last Mass community, my student community, and thanks to Stefan. Um, and all of you who have donated financially since we were last on the show, thank you for helping me to pay the bills that keep the show available technologically to people who can get to it 
in whatever way they get to it online. Um, the show is available at whyshamanismnow.com, the show site with all the archives. It's available at co-creatornetwork.com, our producer site, and it's available on iTunes. And so there are many, many places that people can access the show. And those of you that are able to do something to help to keep the show alive are helping it be available to anyone who can get to it. So thank you. Thank you all for helping me to do that. Um, it is important for us as we move into this new world, this new time, as we move into this new world that we bring with us the wisdom, what we have learned from this world and the wisdom of the worlds before us. And one of the great wisdoms I believe that has endured, it gets the crap beat out of it all the time, but it has endured, is the wisdom of allowing a human life to be motivated by what moves us in our hearts. It is in our hearts that we know what is ethical and moral, but it is also in our hearts that we know what has joy, what has passion, what brings life. And so I ask you if the show moves you in your heart in any way, even into irritation, to understand that you have been moved in the heart and to do something to help the show to grow in your own life, sharing the ideas in your journey circles, in your work, in uh, sending me a question, sending me an idea for a show, or donating. Whatever you do to help to keep the show alive is much appreciated. Every penny goes precisely to paying the bills to keep the show on the air, and I am deeply grateful. If you're still wondering how to donate, go to whyshamanismnow.com. Not only can you access the archives, but you can click the support button and donate any amount, large or small. And I'm grateful for all of it. Um, for those of you that don't want to pay um, through the internet, that's perfectly fine. Just email me at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org, and I would be happy to give you a terrestrial address. Christina at lastmaskcenter.org is also where you would email in your questions today. We are live, and you are invited to email me questions to Skype from the co-creatornetwork.com site or to call in at 512-772-1938 if you have a question about the show's topic. And the show's topic today is the part two of interpreting your symbolic language. Um, this is all part of a show series on mastering the art of shamanic journeying, which, by the way, many, many people asked for. But I've noticed that the interchange, the dynamic, the energy of emails and dialogue on the Why Shamanism Now Facebook page, all of this supposed social networking has really kind of gone flat. So that either means I'm doing really crappy shows right now or um, perhaps there's an election going on that's got people's attention or maybe there was a great big storm and an earthquake out here. I mean, you know, granted, there's a whole lot going on in the world that is um, – much more significant and impacting our lives directly than my little radio show. Um, on the other hand, um, if the show is not of value or is not interesting, y'all should let me know and I'll just stop and do something, talk about something else. So anyway, today we are continuing with our conversation about interpreting your symbolic language. And I did get one comment that I wanted to bring in here right at the beginning of this uh, show before we start kind of go over what we talked about last week and continue, which is it's important to understand that when I talk about your symbolic language, we have to remember that everybody, every, okay, first off, A, everyone has access to their symbolic language. You may not be consciously aware of that, but you do. You just may not have... Um, 
kept those channels to your dream life and to your visionary life and to your intuitive life open because of other choices that you've made in your life. And they may just have gunk in them and they may just need to be cleaned out. But everybody has access to their symbolic language and everybody has a symbolic language. It is partly unique, as we talked about last, last week, and also partly transpersonal, partly shared by others. Um, however, with that, we need to remember always that people access their shamanic language in several different ways. So we have clairvoyance or visuals, seeing things. We have clairaudience, which is hearing messages. And, and that is also part of your symbolic language. Um, words are symbols. Um, we also have clairsentience, which is the experience of things, which can be emotional as in feeling sad or happy. But it can also be a sensations of feeling claustrophobic, feeling hot, feeling cold, feeling prickly. I mean, the, the, the clairsentient language in and of itself is a symbolic language, um, and, but it's vast. It's vast, and it connects to the body's innate knowing, the body's wisdom. And so um, clairsentience is um, huge amounts of data. However, because it's used amount of data, it sometimes takes us time to process the data. And so we're not always able to be the kind of person that gives an instantaneous intuitive feedback. Um, the more complex the situation is, the more we might need to wait 24 hours even to really sort out what's really going on. Um, so with that said, um, there's a couple other aspects that other people have given names to um, in contemporary time, they're not necessarily traditionally, but they, they speak to also a kind of um, awareness of our symbolic language that is just a sudden knowing. It's not necessarily clairvoyant technically or clairaudient or clairsentient technically. It's just a sudden knowing of something in its fullness. Um, and that's been given a name I can't remember right now. My point is that many people confuse the fact that there's this variety of how we access our symbolic language with the symbolic language itself. And um, so that's one challenge to look at. Um, the other is to recognize that a lot of people feel they're not doing it right, sort of quote unquote, not doing it right, if they're not seeing things. You know, and not everybody, everybody is somewhat clairvoyant, but not necessarily enough to name it as your primary skill set. And, and that's all right. You just need to tune in to the other ways of knowing. And it's very challenging for us because most books are written. And frankly, the English language ends up um, pushing us to describe our visual, ex our, um, sorry, our symbolic language experiences to describe them visually. It's, it's the nature of, our of the English language, actually, that le leans that way. And it tends to make people feel um, uh, that they're wrong if they're not seeing. It's not a true journey if they're not seeing things. And I don't feel that's accurate. I haven't seen that idea um, reflected in any way with any of the indigenous shamans that I've um, had the honor to witness working or talked with about their, the way that they work is they don't make this um, 
hierarchical distinction about seeing being the best and then this and then that, that they're using all of it all the time. I mean, my, my perspective is be practical. Use, use your strengths and use your strengths then to begin to develop your weaknesses. My weakest aspect in journeying is visual. And yet, if you were to listen to me narrating a shamanic journey, you would never know that because I've worked really hard to translate what is largely clairsentient information into something people can understand when it ends up making it seem like it's visual. Um, So it's just an example. I'm not making a big deal out of me. I'm just saying as an example, you know, here's someone who has spent the last two decades doing this and I'm not clairvoyant, even though it might sound like that. Um, when you listen to your sessions. And so the important thing is, is to learn how you most easily, where's your strength in connecting with your symbolic language and use it. And then as you work with spirit, ask spirit then to assist you in developing the other aspects of knowing, ways of knowing that are not so strong. So that ultimately you have this full complement Um, of ways to access your symbolic language. But feeling your information is different from seeing it or hearing it. And that doesn't mean the information is different, though. That's what I'm trying to bring out here in this kind of circular discussion that I'm having. Um, So anyway, I hope that that's helpful. And I also hope that it gives those of you that are not strong clairvoyants permission to go for it. To use your strengths and engage with your symbolic language and learn it. Work with your helping spirits and learn how they're trying to communicate with you. How do we learn it? We learn it by doing our journeys or our visualizations, translating our, our answers ultimately into actions and acting and seeing how it affects our life. That's how we find out if we're actually interpreting correctly. I realize it's um, challenging, but you know what in life that's worth taking time to do isn't. So there. Um, so, so, so the only way to test your interpretation is to act on it or craft your next journey question on it or whatever the next appropriate action is, act on it. That's the only way. I mean, the worst thing that can happen for most of you if you misinterpret your symbolic language is nothing will happen. Everything stays the same. That's, for most things, the worst that will happen. For a few things, you might end up making a really bad decision and leaving a job you shouldn't or a marriage you shouldn't or staying in one you shouldn't or whatever. But mostly nothing will happen. That's usually what happens when we don't interpret things correctly or accurately. Okay, so basically what we're talking about today then is your symbolic language, which must be interpreted. And so a second fundamental thing to remember, which I've said a thousand times, but let's bring it in right here, is that, now I forgot what I was going to say. Never mind. We're moving right along. Okay. So, symbolic language. So, your whole life lies between your perception of your relationship with the universe and the true nature of your relationship with the universe. And we talked about this a lot last week. In other words, what you perceive is going on here, which is part your inspiration and conscious awareness and part your fears and judgments and blames and shames, that's one version of a relationship with the universe. It's your perceived relationship. And then there's your real relationship with the universe that is based on the real energies that are running underneath everything. And so 
what's important to understand is that your whole existence, ordinary and non-ordinary, is occurring in this gap. The gap between your perceptions and this deeper energetic reality. And so when we're journeying, we're really journeying in that domain, that domain that is um, shaped by our, our perception and everything in between our perception to what is real. And the beauty of our spirit help uh, and the beauty of spirit help period over time is that it has always reinforced for people again and again and again and every time humans have existed the true nature of our universe and the true nature of us and our relationship to that universe. And this is the great value of practices of direct revelation which are shamanic practices plus other practices of direct revelation. But it's the heart of shamanism is this, this um, responsibility uh, for each individual to cultivate their own relationship with spirit and have reliable practices um, to access um, spirit to, and they, through their own symbolic language to inform their choices and their actions in life. So we talked about that last week. And I also talked about last week ways you can explore that, ways that you can explore your perceived relationship with the universe and your actual relationship with the universe. And a lot of people said, well, why don't I just journey to find out my relationship with the universe and just go with that? And the reason is because our perceived relationship with the universe is belief-based and the oldest beliefs win. You can't just download new beliefs. You can't just download new software and expect it to run without deleting the old beliefs that are contrary to it. And so that's why the suggested practice or the suggested um, adventure was to look at your beliefs, positive and negative or life-affirming and fear-based that you got through your life from your parents, from your school system, from your culture, et cetera, et cetera. And then to really give yourself some conscious um, awareness of this web of beliefs that you hold. And, and uh, it's very possible that many of them are contradictory. So to, so to give you that sense of what is. And then to journey, to ask the helping spirits to clarify for you what should be or not what it should be, but, but the true nature of the relationship. And then begin to work with spirit to close that gap so that you start to live uh, from a belief system that is based on your true nature with the relation, true nature of your relationship with the universe and your, your true sense of yourself. Um, and the more you move towards a belief system that, that, because our actions in life, our choices and our actions in life come out of our beliefs. So if we want to change our choices, change our actions, change our perception of the world, we must change our beliefs. And beliefs are changeable. A lot of people don't understand that, but beliefs are changeable. They're mutable. Um, and frankly, your, your original belief system is totally accidentally formed, by the way. People treat it like it's some sort of precious thing. It's only precious because it, it holds the structure of our life together, but the beliefs themselves may be completely errant. 
they may be completely wrong, and yet they still hold the structure of your life together. The problem, of course, most of us face once we wake up in our 20s is that the life it's holding together isn't exactly the life we wanted. And so to change that, we, we, we need to not just import these new ideas, but we need to export the old ones and implement these new ones. So these new beliefs begin to be the things that not only hold the structure of our world together, but are the beliefs from which we are acting and making choices in the world. So the point was to understand your perceived relationship before you went and journey to find out what the true nature is and then to use journeying to close that gap. So then we also um, continued to talk about um, how your symbolic language comes um, in part to you sort of transpersonally. It's like the part of the package that you get just by virtue of being human. And then there's the part of the package of your symbolic language that is being developed over time from your life experiences. And we talked a lot about pivotal life experiences and how these pivotal life experiences um, shape us and shape how we see the world. And, um, you know, for example, I uh, have, a, have a good friend who believes who, well, who believes that you fall in love in life and you, your heart ends up getting broken. And that's what changes you and makes you who you are in the world and builds your character. And that, um, and that you just need to accept that and understand that when you fall in love, your heart will end up being broken. And that's just a given. Now, the actions, though, that come out of that is um, a whole lot of action in life around connecting with people and really robustly enjoying life and enjoying people, enjoying the pleasures of people connecting, but being very hesitant to actually love, which is a whole lot of fun in your 30s and still pretty fun in your 40s if you take care of yourself. And it can be kind of fun in your 50s, but as you get into your 60s, you start realizing that if you continue on that path, you're going to live your life alone. And for an extroverted person who likes people, that's not a great thing. And so this is what I mean by we can develop these beliefs in life that don't seem like bad beliefs. And they may even in some ways help us to deal with certain aspects of life, to roll with things, to be easy with certain aspects of life that are inevitable. However, it's important that we look deeply at the logical conclusion of what these events in our life have shaped in terms of our beliefs. Because sometimes the logical conclusion of those beliefs over time is not exactly what we thought we signed on for. And so it's very important while we're still uh, breathing, we're still flexible, we're still changeable, we're still able to think through things um, well, to, to look at where these pivotal life experiences, where these beliefs that have come from these experiences are taking us. And to decide whether that's really where we want to go. And if they aren't, to work with spirit to change those beliefs. Or the other thing we talked about is working with spirit to complete these experiences. Because one of the other things, one of the part of exploring your pivotal life experiences is exploring what is incomplete. What are life experiences that were supposed to be pivotal that you don't even remember or that you didn't even realize were significant Because that experience just remains kind of an open wound and is something that you're trying to forget and is not something that's actually been truly um, processed, truly completed. And um, 
that's a really important part to explore as you explore your pivotal life experiences and to really see what has shaped you and to understand that the things that have shaped you, the things that have shaped you then are this shorthand that your helping spirits are using to um, communicate to you. So instead of going through a long because the thing about these pivotal life experiences is they usually extend over a period of time. They may have been a sudden experience that got processed over a period of time, like an accident or something. Or they may have been a relationship that extended over a period of time. But the point is there were lots and lots of teachings all along the way that all summed together to be this, this great pivotal life experience that you've had. And your helping spirits can use that now as a shorthand. They don't have to go through all of those teachings along the way again, journey after journey after journey, answer after answer after answer. You can just journey. They give you that one answer, which is a reminder of that pivotal life experience. And then you know in a big way of what the answer to your question really is. And the important thing is that answer won't make sense to anybody else. And that's really what I was getting at. Well, actually all of it I was getting at, but that's the point is one of the things about journeying is your helping spirits are communicating with you through your symbolic language. And so when it comes to those personal aspects of your symbolic language, you are the only one who can interpret it. So the answer that I always uh, answer, the example that I always use in class about this is an example. I probably shared it three times on the show already. So I'm sorry if I'm boring you, but it's the best example that I have. So let's say you journey and you ask your question and you're helping spirits show you a duck. Just a duck. And no matter how you, how many times you ask the question, they just keep showing you a duck. Okay, now for you, that might be very frustrating because duck may mean nothing to you. And now you're going to your, you know, Googling online to find out what is the medicine meaning of duck or something like that. And that's fine. For me, duck has a very specific meaning. Because when I was a very young child, I was about six, my parents stuck me in my cute little outfit and stuck me on an airplane and I got my little assistant flying badge and I sat up there where the stewardesses, which were only stewardesses in those days, could keep their eye on me. They flew me up to Seattle and my grandmother picked me up and I was going to spend a week with my grandmother in Seattle. And it was a disaster. And by about the second or third night, we got into a huge match of stubbornness over creamed corn. Now, my parents knew me well enough not to get into fights over creamed corn with me, um, but she made the mistake of telling me that I liked it. She didn't just say you had to eat it, which I got a lot from my parents. That would have been fine, but she told me that I liked it, and I didn't like it. And so we had a huge standoff between my Scottish um, grandmother and myself, my little six-year-old self, and and it was um, – someone was going to get killed. <laughs> and so um, – well, actually, so ultimately my uncle came to save me. But um, what happened is I took a whole loaf of bread in my frustration and anger. I got up. I opened the bread drawer. I took this huge loaf of bread out, and I marched my little six-year-old behind out to the water um, on this lake that my grandmother lived on. And I fed the ducks the entire loaf of bread. 
as a way to express my frustration and anger and rage. I just kept throwing the bread out at the ducks. Now, the ducks were ecstatic. And so the ducks to me and feeding the ducks speak to the frustration, the rage, the impotence, all of the feelings that come up when you are in a situation where you are being controlled by someone else, particularly if you can't do anything about it. Because at six, there's not much you can do about the fact she's your grandmother and she's going to win ultimately. But I don't like creamed corn. That's the truth. And that was, you know, the stupid argument. Anyway, my point is, so if I journey and the whole answer to the whole question is about control and frustration and that all the dynamics around that, my helping spirit is to show me a duck and on we go to the next question. Right? There's no, it's not complicated, just a duck. That's what I mean by a shorthand. Now, if you haven't paid attention to the pivotal moments of your life, you don't know your own shorthand. And if you don't know your own shorthand, your helping spirits are using it, right? But you don't understand it because you haven't paid any attention. So know your shorthand. Know your pivotal life events all the way back to when you were a kid so that you can understand these weird things your helping spirits are showing you in your journeys accurately. Because your helping spirits, you have to remember this always, your helping spirits are always conserving energy. Because the universe, everything about it, uh, embodied and not, other than us, I mean everything in the universe but us, conserves energy by nature. And that includes the spirit world. So if they can communicate to you in shorthand, they will. If they can whisper in your ear through your intuition so that you don't even have to journey, they will. You're helping spirits conserve energy. So they are always trying to communicate to you in the most efficient way possible. But if you don't know your shorthand, that doesn't help very much. So it's important to look at those pivotal moments of your life and ask your helping spirits to show you what you um, don't remember are pivotal. Or, as I said before, pivotal moments that are un incomplete. They're unprocessed. They're not integrated. You don't really understand what that was all about. It's just part of your issues. So the problem with issues, not that we don't have them, nothing wrong with having issues. The problem with issues is once you become conscious of them, keeping them as issues, right? I mean, the issues are are unopened gifts. Issues are pivotal life events waiting to be processed, and completed and integrated as a nugget of knowing, as a nugget, as a treasure of your life. Issues aren't meant to be talked about again and again and again, month after month after month, and, and referred to as, well, my issues, as your excuse for not doing X, Y, Z in your life. Issues are a gift waiting to be opened. So open it. If you don't know how to open it, journey and ask spirit. Ask for help. That's what your helping spirits are there for because often – The issues, especially the big ones, are pivotal life events that have not yet pivoted, have not yet completed themselves, have not yet been brought to that place of richness and value and treasure that your life is trying to bring you to. And then it becomes part of your symbolic language shorthand. So that was last week, this week. So moving right along. We got to talking last week about clearing and why clearing was important along the way. And clearing 
okay, so when we talked about crafting questions, we talked about how clearing was essential because as you clear energies, it changes your perception of reality, of your experience, right? And then it changes the way you would then craft the question. So if you have unresolved issues and you're angry and you're frustrated about something or you're shut down or you're feeling shameful or something like that, your question is going to come out of that place. But if you can clear the energies that have come up that have distorted reality, if you can clear them first, then your question about what to do about the situation is going to come out of a different place. And we talked about that with um, – in and amongst the two shows about crafting questions. So now where does clearing come up here with interpreting your symbolic language? Similarly, unresolved, uncleared energies that we carry within us distort our perception of reality. They distort our perception of non-ordinary reality. So uncleared issues then are going to distort our perception of our symbolic language. They'll distort our interpretation of our symbolic language, right? So clearing then, you know, is rearing its little head again and again and again in understanding the, the, the finer art, the masterful art of using shamanic skills is not about learning harder shamanic skills. It's about becoming more clear yourself. It's about mastering yourself, it's about mastering clearing. It's about um, mastering your ability to perceive. Are you tracking reality or have you just flipped into a picture or a story or something that is not real? That is not what is going on in the moment, but is just your perception of it, your projection onto it. Okay, so what I want to remind you of then is... Many, many, many months ago, we did shows or I did shows on dreams. And there were two shows on nighttime dreams because you guys asked a lot of good questions. And so part two dream show, I talked about um, some teachings from a man named David Coombs who is um, trained in, as a Sangoma in um, South African or Zulu shamanism. And he was talking about dreams, and in the dream show, he, he was talking about a similar thing, which is your dreams can be influenced by other energies, and, that, and, and how do you protect your dreams. And so he was saying that nothing, there is nothing in our experience that can't be countered by three things. Now, it's important to understand, he didn't say one of three things. He said by three things, meaning all three of these things together. Being impeccable, no fear, and staying in the light. And by that, he didn't mean light versus dark. He meant the light of true consciousness, the light of, you know, the abundance of connection of things, you know, the, the real reality, staying in the light of the real reality, which is that we are all one with the divine, thus everything is divine, that energy, staying in that energy. So being impeccable having no fear, and staying in the light. Now, by having no fear, he didn't mean, he didn't mean having no fear. He meant um, having the courage to look at your fears, recognize them as fears, and to move through them. Because 
humans don't live without fear, but the point is to not live in your fears. So to notice fears for what they are and to move through them. And because when we harbor fears as, as um, valid realities, in other words, it's all right for me to have this fear because it's real, then that becomes a place that we're vulnerable. Now, relative to symbolic language, it becomes a place that distorts our interpretation of our symbolic language. Okay. So what is clearing? So why did I bring this up in the context of clearing? So what does this have to do with clearing? Um, how do we, so the question would be, how do we live impeccably? How do we live in with this fearlessness and how do we stay in this light of this greater truth? How do we do that? Well, again, we don't do that with stronger and stronger, more and more complex, higher and higher shamanic practices. We don't actually do that by getting higher and higher levels of initiation. Not that that's not part of the process, but we do that by our regular clearing practice, by our taking responsibility for the constant clearing and the release of that which no longer serves us and opening our energy and our resources up to moving um, from the place that we truly stand today, not moving out of the past or moving with an attachment to the future. So with with the living impeccably, impeccability is about your integrity and doing what you say, honoring your limits and boundary. It is about um, what you do in the day. It is about your morality. It is about your ethics. It is about how you make your choices. Granted, impeccability is about those going forward things. And impeccability is also about your relationship with yourself and all of the many moments in your past, you were not able to be accountable to yourself. So impeccability is also about releasing those old stories and bringing that self you weren't able to be accountable to forward into present time. So impeccability goes both ways. It goes forward in our choices. And that is important. It is important to align our actions and our choices. Or yeah, our actions and our words, basically. But impeccability also goes backwards until we are whole. And then we go forward in wholeness. And that's an amazing place to be that I can only imagine, because I certainly myself am not there yet. But at least I understand <laughs> that it exists and I'm moving myself there. Um, and that is an important thing. Impeccability isn't just the forward motion. It's also about rescuing yourself from the past, your past stories, your past judgments, your issues, as I was saying before. Um, so that requires an authentic clearing technique that allows you to, you to return to the past, not somebody else to do it for you, but you to return to the past and to offer yourself, your, your past self, the energy that you need to shift and come forward in present time. So that's a clearing piece. The third, the second one that he said was no fear. So fear to, to live without fear requires clearing 
because of the five basic fears that human beings experience, particularly through childhood, but even at other times, and how these arose and how we got stuck with them. And so it's very, very important to notice a fear for what it is, a fear, to clear the story that reinforces the fear, and then to find the courage to risk going forward in a new way. And then to protect your heart as you do that. And th- this, that whole process is fundamental to that process is your ability to clear the old story that reinforces the fear. And once again, you need to do that. So I had a conversation, example. I had a conversation with a client on the phone who knew the issue she was dealing with with the person in her life today was a past life issue. So she had gone to people to have past life work, past life clearing. But all they did was revisit these past lives that were part of the pattern that was um, present in this life, being, being lived again in this life. But nobody cleared anything. They didn't clear the past lives. It didn't help clear the present life. It was just more information. But there was no actual movement into the past life to clear it then in any of the past lives, which didn't make it any easier for her to endeavor to clear it today. And again, it's not something – okay, someone can – this is still a good example actually. So someone could regress you to a past life and it's lovely to have someone hold space and help you to do that, although not necessary by the way. Nonetheless, lovely to have help. So someone helps you regress to a past life. You still have to take action. You, present time you, have to take action in that past life to clear that energy, to give your past self an option it didn't have in that life and do it differently. It doesn't change history, but it changed how the, changes how the energy of that past life is carried. So it's a clearing. It clears the error in how it's being carried. Um, and allows that pattern then to be cleared not only from the past lives, but to clear it from the present life then by the choices you then need to make in the present life. So again, the clearing needs to go forward, but also backwards. And that this is necessary if we're going to clear those fundamental fears we all think are real. Fear of abandonment, fear of banishment, fear of annihilation, fear of death, fear that we um, aren't loved or are not lovable or whatever permutation of that you want to call it. These fears aren't real. I mean, when we experience them as a child, they are real. As an adult, they become perceived fears because as an adult, we can't take care of ourselves. We are not dependent on others necessarily. I mean, we are in an interconnected way, but as an adult, you're not dependent the way that you are as a child. And so what was a real fear becomes a a perceived need, a perceived issue as an adult. These need to be cleared and we need to understand how if I don't clear those fears, they distort my perception of reality and they distort my perception of non-ordinary reality. Now, a part of people's fear in non-ordinary reality, granted, part of it's really functional. It just comes from, oh my God, I'm being eaten. Oh my God, I'm being thrown off a cliff. I'm going to die. I mean, that's kind of logical fear, except that you're in the journey and you're not remembering that everything in the journey is part of the message. You can die a gajillion times in the journey. It's part of the message. Pay attention to dying. See what it feels like. 
pay attention to being eaten. See what it feels like. Don't freak out. All right, so that part of fear in your journeys is kind of understandable, but it's also a fear you need to get over the 14th time you get thrown off the cliff. Start paying attention to being thrown off the cliff and see how being thrown off the cliff is the message, right? So that's journeying. That's basic journeying one-on-one. So the fears that I'm talking about are the kind of fears that distort our perception of any reality that we're in, dream reality, journey reality, everyday reality. Those fears must be ferreted out. Those fears must be cleared if we are ever to perceive anything accurately. And so finally, with clearing on number three, um, as David says, staying in the light. And so that is an aspect of journeying that you need to remember is that your true relationship with the universe is that you are one with all things. You are divine. It's divine. Everybody's divine. Everybody's a part of the divine. It's all a big oneness. It's all a big all that is. Yahoo. Everybody's happy. Right. Well, everybody's not happy. That's the problem if you're a human, right? Because you have the choice to believe something else. You have the choice to step out of that light. And that's what David meant about the light. It's stepping out of that truth into a shadow of that truth. Okay. So being in the light requires clearing constantly. And this is, this is one of the great frustrations for me but misconceptions in our contemporary time right now because we have all this new age light stuff going on all the love and light shamans and so i was um lurking on facebook and observing deciding whether or not i wanted to join a group and one of the questions the group was responding to was you know what's your daily practice what do you do each day and there were a lot of people that are well-respected, not a lot of people, there was a handful of people that are fairly well-respected shamanic teachers. And their morning practice was to wake up, to fill themselves with light, to give thanks for the day, and to go on with things. And there's nothing wrong with that. However, what if the problem is with the container? What if there's a fundamental flaw in the container? The light's fine, and the container can hold the light, but the container itself is flawed. The container itself has something that needs to be cleared. So the problem with always just assuming it's all good, I'm just going to fill myself with light and, and work, work, work on my clients, is that we're never realizing that if the container itself has flaws, has fundamental errors that it believes in, that it's going to project that onto everything. The clients, your journeys, your journeys for them. It, it's not that the helping spirits aren't trying to give you the true and clear and correct um, answer. It's that because the, there's a fundamental flaw in the container – no matter how much light you fill it with, you're going to misinterpret the journey. Ugh. Okay. So daily practice then is not, it's not that there's anything wrong with connecting with the oneness and filling with the light and being grateful for existence. It's a beautiful practice. And the other side of the practice needs to be scanning the container for the errors in the container and clearing those energies. So that's how we stay in the light, not by remembering to fill ourselves with light because we already are the light. We already are divine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like that's not it's – it's an important practice, but it's not the point. 
what pulls us out of the light is these fundamental flaws that we carry because we took that belief on and we haven't cleared it yet. And I have watched, especially in this time, this time is so interesting with so much going on, so much change happening, so much pressure building. I'm starting to really see many successful teachers starting to see the possessions that they carry emerging as everything is getting heated up because they haven't cleared the container and that flaw in the container allows a presence to be with them that feeds off their work and feeds off them. And I've watched some beautiful, beautiful people I love dearly change and to be changed by these, the spirit help that they have because they are not perceiving the distortion because they're not willing to look at their own container and say, hmm, flaws, how about that? And my feeling about that is people, we're human. We're all human. Of course we have flaws in the container. That's why we're here, is to transform them. So to develop these practices that are all just about looking to the light and not ever using the light to look inward and illuminate the flaws in the container is just missing the point, frankly. Anyway, and the problem with that is it deeply uh, affects how we interpret our journeys. Now, if you just want to screw up the interpretation of your own journeys, that's fine. It's really problematic when we're journeying for other people, especially as practitioners. Okay. Now, the other thing that shamanic people do to help them uh, interpret their symbolic language or their symbolic language coming at them from spirit is they work in a cosmology. Now, upper world, middle world, lower world is not a cosmology. It's not that it's not a truth. It's just not a cosmology. It's not complex enough to truly be considered a cosmology. Um, The entire, the wholeness of the belief systems of a culture of people shape a cosmology. Humbly, I teach a cosmology in my teachings. Um, uh, Oscar Miro Casada was on just a couple weeks ago speaking of his cosmology and the work that he does with his mesa. So these are, I actually talked with him about cosmologies. Okay, so these are cosmologies. And the thing about the cosmology is, so for example, I could do a journey where I am, Um, swept up by a tidal wave and churned and churned and churned and tossed out on the beach and then eaten by a great big spider. So now in my cosmology, because water means something in my cosmology, it tells me already that whatever issue I'm dealing with is an issue of warriorship, that it is an issue of my emotions So I'm getting swept up in the great tidal wave. So there's some great tidal wave of emotion. Are they mine? Are they somebody else's? I mean, these are the things I have to figure out in the interpretation. But because I already have a cosmology, it already tells me this is about warriorship. This is about crazy logic. This is about my emotional life. And then I'm getting spit out on the beach and eaten by a spider. And so this also has something to do with merging or being cleansed somehow something about connecting with grandmother spider who weaves everything together because in my cosmology she's the weaver of everything the web of life now on the other hand because i also understand about trickster energy i have to journey again and ask is this spider the spider of my cosmology 
Or is this a Nancy? Is this a trickster spider out of Africa? Because if it is the trickster spider, which comes out of a different cosmology, but is known to me, so it's part of my symbolic language, then that's a whole different answer. Or that I'm being eaten by this, the great grace of grandmother spider who weaves the web of life is an entirely different meaning than being eaten by the trickster. Right? And so, but the value of this is that there's this language that comes through a cosmology. So just to put two and two together here and get four, there are many, many practitioners who are not aware of their cosmology. There are many who are, and bless your hearts, go out there and use it fearlessly. But for those who just journey with upper world, middle world, lower world, and have no sense of cosmology, I get not wanting to just buy a cultural cosmology just to say you have one. I totally get that, and I, and I support that. On the other hand, your helping spirits are communicating to you through a cosmology. You just don't know it. And so what's important then is to go to your helping spirits and find out what is the cosmology they're communicating to you out of. Because they are. You just don't know it. And this is the reason, really ultimately the reason, this is the two and two to get four, the reason that the spirits gave me the first shaman class is so that people who do not know their lineage, who do not know the cosmology they're working in, and don't want to just go run around the world trying to find the one that matches, but want to honestly find it through their helping spirits, that's what the first shaman class is about, is to journey back to find the first shaman of your lineage. So you can then come forward and begin to understand the cosmology your helping spirits are communicating to you through, because they are. And you're missing a wealth of um, help in interpretation if you do not know the cosmology your helping spirits are speaking from or communicating from. So that's a really big piece. And that in and of itself is, is a really good reason to do the first shaman workshop if for no other reason but to work your way back from the first shaman to the cosmology your helping spirits are, are journeying from because that more than anything else, in a sense, will help you to more accurately interpret your symbolic language going forward. It's very, very important to know that and to understand that um, and to explore that, I guess is what I'm saying, to recognize that it's out there and to explore it, just like exploring your pivotal life events and exploring the gap between your perceived relationship with the universe and your real relationship with the universe. Just like all of these things, Knowing the cosmology that's operating in your journeys is critically important as a resource for interpretation. So with that said, um, understand that the symbolic language that you experience in your journeys is unique to you in its, in its fullness. No one else can interpret your symbols or experiences more accurately than you can. That doesn't mean you don't have blind spots. It doesn't mean you don't have chronic patterns. But it does mean that you shouldn't compare your journeys to anyone else's, that you shouldn't give them to other people to interpret, but that you need to step up to the intuitive challenge of interpreting them yourself. And now I'm remembering what I forgot at the beginning of the show, which is the mindset, the state of being from which you interpret your shamanic journeys is entirely different from the mindset or the way that you take your journey. 
And that is perhaps the most helpful thing I could offer anyone in terms of interpreting your symbolic journey is that don't interpret while you journey. Journey, write it down, dance it, whatever you're going to do. And then shift your awareness to a place of accessing all of your online, internal, in-the-body intuition. And then begin to ask yourself the question, how does this answer my question? Blah, 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 blah. How does this part answer my question? Blah, 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 blah. Whatever the question is. And in that way, to respect the art of interpretation as its own aspect of shamanic journeying. So I'd like to give thanks to the Helping Spirits for gathering around us here today. Thanks to the ancestors for being with us. Thanks to the earth below, the sky above, the heart that connects us all. Thank you, everyone. Have a great week. And please go vote.